Well, good morning again. I invite you to take God's Word and open it to the book of Ruth this morning as we continue our study through this Old Testament book of Ruth. It's good to see each of you here this morning as we join together. Ruth, we're going to be in chapter 1, verse 19, looking down into chapter 2, verse number 3 of Ruth. I'd like to ask you if you've found uh, Ruth that you would stand out of reverence for the Word of God as it is read, if you're able this morning. Ruth chapter 1, going to be looking again, verse 19, down to chapter 2, verse number 3. And so let us hear the Word of God Almighty this morning from Ruth, beginning in verse number 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you humbly in need of the presence of your spirit this morning. Father, we come before you asking that you would take your Holy Spirit and that you would take your Holy Word and that you would do your work in our lives. Father, we pray that you would Help us more and more today to see you in your majesty, in your greatness, and in your sovereignty. Lord, help us to have large views of you and who you are. Help us, Father, to be impacted by the truths that we see from this text. Father, we pray that you would give sight to the blind this morning through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, do your work within us. We humbly pray through Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. We may be seated. There's some good truth in the old saying, hindsight is 2020. Right, as we consider some events in the past and in our life, some things just seem clearer after they have happened. 
looking back, things can at least partly make sense that at least when we're going through them, they seem many times to not make much sense at all. Life and this kind of aspect of our life has been likened to a quilt, a quilt that one sews or puts together. I've seen my wife in the past uh, make these types of quilts in the home. And if you look on the back of a quilt, you'll know that they're, they're very much frayed and they're very much tattered and there's a lot of loose ends on the back that just are coming and are frayed. And you can look at the back of a quilt and you see it and usually that's not the side that people put up when they lay this on their bed or put it on the couch Right? It's when you turn the quilt over and you see what has been stitched together that you begin to see patterns that weren't evident when, you, when you're looking on the back of a quilt where stuff looks like it's kind of frayed and all over the place, looking like a mess, kind of looking like our lives a lot of the time. Well, that is definitely something that we are seeing in the book of Ruth when you turn that over, you begin to see the finished product and you begin maybe in small ways and in pieces to see, ha, ah, here is what God was actually doing and here is how God is weaving things together for his glory. You begin to understand that there is meaning behind the events in life that the things that we go through and the things that we face don't just happen. Events don't just happen to us. They're not random, but we begin to see that the events are actually orchestrated. I know many times in our life when we're walking through, things seem to be random. They look that way to us, to our eyes. But God is weaving and sowing, if you will, and that is one of the main things that I think that we're to learn and that we do see in this book of Ruth. Not to just know that God is sovereign and that God is in control, but to realize that truth, to see that fact that God indeed is weaving and working in this world and for our response to that to be one of faith, and a deep-seated trust in the midst of all of the ups and downs of life. One of the things we see in the book of Ruth is we have that perspective of knowing that God is at work through these details. We know that. I'm sure that you've already read the whole of the book of Ruth, and we're walking through these details in the accounts that the author puts before us in telling the story and one of the things that we realize here is that in all of these little events, God is at work behind all of them, bringing about his good plan. And so one of the things that I hope that we can see this morning as we come to this is to realize what God is doing and our response to that to be one of faith and trust in him, relinquishing as it were, uh, uh, the ability or the knowledge to know, hey, here's what God is doing. I want to know what is taking place and why this is happening. And for our trust to say, I know that God is bringing about his plan and our response to that to be one of obedience and to be one of faith. 
Ruth is a wonderful book for us to see that about because as we've seen, there's a lot of details coming about in this book and we're told those details through these various accounts. We've seen in chapter one up until this point that Ruth's life was a very difficult life and much of it was a mess and we're continuing to see that. We saw that a famine had taken place in the promised land that caused them to leave and go to the land of Moab. And as this family left uh, and went to Moab, Naomi lost her husband. Not only did she lose her husband, she lost her two sons. No grandchildren were there in the family and she's been through these difficulties and she heard that now the rain had returned to the promised land. There was bread again back in Bethlehem and it was time to return to that place. And so she went uh, there with her two daughters-in-laws trying to persuade them to return to Moab. We saw that last week. Orpah did return to the land of Moab. Ruth clung, as the text says to Naomi. We saw this beautiful confession that Ruth made in regards to Naomi and especially to Naomi's God. Ruth here, as we saw, was, we could say, a believer that was counting the cost. And in her life at that crossroad, when push came to shove, she would rather have God and the prospects of a difficult future than to go back into something comfortable. We're not told uh, about what happened on the rest of that 50-mile journey right, between uh, Naomi and Ruth. They're, they're keeping going down the road, returning back to Bethlehem. We're not told what they said. I would imagine there's probably, as we're gonna see now when she enters into Bethlehem, probably not much was said along that path. But today the account picks back up when they return back to Bethlehem. So just, we're gonna hang our hats on kind of two uh, points here that we see. First, we're gonna see Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem and we're going to look uh, at that account and what the Lord, I think, would have us to see from that. And then we're going to look secondly at uh, God's plan and compensation in chapter two are, are going to begin to take off. So first off, we see here, uh, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem in verse 19 to 22. I imagine as they returned to town that emotions were running high as they came back to Bethlehem. Just think of it, it had been 10 years since Naomi and her family had left from this place. And again, when she left, when she said goodbye, she left with a husband and she left with two sons. Now she is returning and she comes back as a widow and a mother who has lost her two sons. Mind you, these are the days before Facebook, email, and all the like. And so I doubt that uh, anyone in this area would have known what had taken place in their life in Moab. And so they're returning. And now Ruth is coming back home, as the text says, although she's a foreigner who had not been there before. And so we see this interaction. Look at verse 19. It tells us there, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? I imagine as they came back into the town of Bethlehem, it would have been really hard for them just to sneak back in 
Most likely there would have been a main gate in the town of the city as it was in this time and that's where you would enter in. You would come back through the main town. It's not like you just pull around your car back to your old place, sneak in at dark and slide on into your house. No, people would know what was going on and they're coming back in and this is a public event in Bethlehem. And so they see Naomi, somebody else with her coming And the text says the whole town was stirred because of them. So what are we to make of this stirred? What type of stirred uh, here was going on? Well, this has the idea of being stirred in a happy way. They're saying here, hey, could this be Naomi? Is this Naomi returning to us? She's, she's coming back home? That's kind of the thought here behind them. I don't think their thought was, oh, wow. Is this Naomi? She looks horrible. Can this be her? Is that, my goodness, these years have not treated her nicely. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's, uh, uh, oh, great, Naomi is back. Ah, wonderful sort of thing. No, this is a a joyful way that they are coming, saying, "Is is this Naomi? Naomi is coming back to us after this long journey. And I think the author here is using that word, for stirred and is really going to contrast the response of Naomi as she comes back to this town that is seeking to really just receive her well. If you're in a bitter mood, and I think we're going to see that Naomi was a touch in a bitter mood, when life is going hard, uh, sometimes what is the last thing you want to see or to hear when you're going through difficulty in that? Many times it's a very jovial, happy, clappy type of person just coming up before you and it just tends to bring that out in you, that negativity and bitterness just all of a sudden come out. And that's sort of what we see happening here. This scene seems maybe just a touch awkward if we were a fly on the wall watching it take place. Naomi wastes no time in giving her response to the people of the town. The first words out of her mouth are, do not call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi, it seems, cannot bear to hear her name. Her name, which as you probably see in your footnote there, her name means pleasant. She can't hear Stand to hear the name, here's pleasant, roll off someone's lips in a joyful way. In Hebrew thought, uh, one's name was more than just an identity marker. Uh, It was expressive of one's character. It was expressive of one's being and personality. And so Naomi here means pleasant or lovely. And she says, no longer call me that because I am not pleasant. Instead, call me Mara. Mara is my name now, which means bitter, bitter. At this point, the lady's smiles and eyebrows must have sunk. Questions begin to arise in their minds. I imagine their smiles now began to turn into a point of concern and question, and they're thinking, my goodness, what has happened? Well, Naomi busts right in and tells them, we see in verse number 20 and 21, 
She says, therefore, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? What are we to make of Naomi's response to the townspeople and what she says about God in these verses? I submit to you there's at least two things that we are to see here and that we are to learn from her response. First thing is, is acknowledge God's sovereignty. One thing we do see Naomi doing in these verses is she is very much acknowledging God's sovereignty over her suffering. You'll see very clearly that she does not say, Satan has done this to me. She does not say, sin has done this to me. She doesn't leave room, really, for any question. She says, God has done this to me. God has brought these things upon my life. Naomi knows that this wasn't just chance. This wasn't just some sparse event that seemed to happen and fate that has come upon her. Frankly, she leaves no room for doubt, does she? I mean, look at the four main statements that she says here. It just tips us off to her view. She says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. You see the names that she uses for Yahweh here. She refers to God as Almighty. And then she refers to the Lord as Yahweh with all caps of Lord. The name Almighty, you maybe know this this, uh, name is El Shaddai. Maybe you grew up in the church. I grew up in the church singing this song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, and continues on. We're speaking in tongues. I had no idea what I was saying at the time as a youth, but that's what we sung. Well, it's a name, a name for God. It's a name that means almighty, all-powerful one, possessing all power, omnipotent. This is the name God used of himself in Genesis chapter 17, verse number one. You'll remember when he appeared to Abraham to make a covenant with Abraham uh, that he would multiply him and make a great nation out of him. You'll remember the context that God spoke that promise into. Abraham was a very old, old man. His wife likewise was old and infertile and bearing and beyond the childbearing years. And God promised to say, you will have an offspring through Sarah. This will happen. You remember their response. They laughed, they laughed at that, right? How in the world? But God said, I will do this because I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Nothing is impossible for me. I am God Almighty, I will do this. And so when God is referring to himself there, he uses this same name as Almighty. And so we jump back in here to the book of Ruth and what is, what is or excuse me, Naomi, what is Naomi doing by speaking this way? She is acknowledging God's power and authority. And she is implying, I would suggest by her using this name, Almighty, God could have not done this. 
He's almighty. The almighty has done this to me. God has allowed these dark providences to come upon my life. Some folks uh, sort of want to rake Naomi over the coals here uh, because they might say that she is blaming God in a sense. But I, I don't see that in the text. I see her acknowledging God's sovereignty in her suffering. And if you take Christianity seriously and the truth of the sovereignty of God seriously, eventually one day you will run into the same thing Naomi has. Why has God brought this upon me? Why has God allowed this to happen? If you know that God is in control over every single thing, then why does he allow or bring about pain and suffering? As we grow in our Christian understanding of God and his dealings with us, we're going to be able to say, look, nothing takes place apart from the ultimate providence of God. We see within the scripture there is such a thing as a theology of complaint, as it were. God never zapped anyone dead on the spot for asking these sorts of questions in scripture, for making these sort of responses. I want to give you what one commentator said about the response of Naomi in these verses. He says this, quote, Naomi here does not evidence little faith, Rather, with the freedom of a faith that ascribes full sovereignty to God, she takes God so seriously that with Job and Jeremiah and even Abraham in Genesis 15 too, she resolutely and openly voices her complaint. So what we see Naomi doing here in these verses is she is bringing that complaint to the Lord. She is bringing that to him. You could just simply ask the question, where else shall we go? Right? Naomi knows the Lord is in control. She evidences her faith in God by her bringing her questions to God and her statements to him. The Bible encourages us to have such a response to God to have such an understanding of God's sovereignty and God's control in this world and in particular in our lives. God is in control. He is sovereign. He is bringing about his plan. And I think one of the things we need to take from this is to realize and trust in that fact. For us to end our lives, just as it were, in the midst of our going in and out and the things that we face and the trials that we come upon, the ups and downs in our lives, to pause and just to realize for a moment, hey, listen, God is sovereign and he is in control of all things. It's not as though things are outside of his power or control. It's good for us to realize and afresh in our life to say, I am not sovereign. I cannot make what I want to happen, happen. God is in control of those things. And soaking in that truth will change us. It will change our perspective because it will change the way you respond in the ups and the downs of life.
And so Naomi here, when she makes these response to the townspeople, I think that she is very much proper in her response of acknowledging the sovereignty of God over these very difficult events in her life. And I would submit to you that likewise, that should be our response as well. To come to God acknowledging his sovereignty and his providence in all things. But there's one more thing I think that we need to see from this text, and that is this, and it's a warning for us in the midst of this, and that is to beware of bitterness. Beware of bitterness. We need to hear a word of caution, I would suggest to you, from these verses too. There is a very real temptation when we go through the ups and downs of life and the sufferings of this life for, as the scripture might call it, the root of bitterness to begin to grab a hold or at least a small root in our lives to get a footing. I would suggest to you that this is a temptation for every single one of us. For we all face frustrations in life. Now, granted, there are small frustrations in life. There are huge frustrations in life. And there is everything in between, isn't there? There's physical suffering that we face. There's sickness, there's pain, there's chronic pain, there's medical conditions, there is death, there is all types of physical sufferings. There are other things on the level of just quite frankly unmet expectations of our life that we have where we want things to happen a certain way and just in the providence of God, they just don't happen. The job didn't come through, a, a, a friendship didn't come through, the relationship didn't work out. There's, there's all sorts of unmet expectations. The Bible speaks about suffering for righteousness sake, right? Of standing up for the truth and we see uh, um, um, a suffering for that and maybe receiving an unpleasant response from somebody because we're seeking to be faithful to God's word. There's just all types of these frustrations in life. But whatever our difficulty might be, we need to watch out for the root of bitterness because bitterness begins to look like in our life being resentful. It expresses itself maybe in anger, anger towards others and anger towards God even, being frustrated with him because God has allowed something to take place or not take place in our lives. And it seems as though bitterness was taking root in Naomi's life. Did you notice when she responded to the ladies in the town who she didn't even acknowledge or mention? She, she was right in her acknowledging God's sovereignty, but one thing that she was missing here is, actually, if we wanted to be truthful, the Lord didn't bring her back empty. I imagine how awkward this conversation must have been for Ruth, who was probably standing right beside her at this time. She didn't even say anything uh, about Ruth, who was standing right there. And the fact of the matter is, the uh, Lord hadn't brought her back empty. Indeed, she did have Ruth by her side. And I think the author of this account calls our attention to this in verse number 22. Because right after this, look at, look at what it says and how it refers uh, to Ruth here. It says, so Naomi returned and Ruth, 
the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So it's almost like the author goes out of her way. Hey, we, we know who Ruth is, but he says, Ruth, the Moabite, right? We know that. Uh, her daughter-in-law with her, I, oh, remember from the country of Moab, it's like he's throwing these things out, saying, look, Ruth is there. And not only that, they returned in the barley harvest. That is Bethlehem, the city of bread, had bread again. So I want to be as, as gentle really as I can here in saying this with Naomi because Naomi has gone through an extremely difficult time in her life over these 10 years. But I want us to see here that bitterness can cause us to focus solely on ourselves. To look at me, to look at the bad that has happened to me and to focus on the problems that I am facing and my unmet expectation. And bitterness can cause us to not see that God is always at work and that God has given us so many blessings in our lives. It causes us to fail to remember that God is sovereign and God is bringing about a glorious plan as if Naomi didn't even see Ruth. I doubt she was even focusing on the fact that God had returned in his grace and his mercy with rain to Bethlehem and bringing forth this harvest. See, bitterness causes us not to be able to see the things that God is up to. The things that God is doing in our lives through his timing, through his way. That's what bitterness will do to us. It will cause us to lose sight of the blessings and provisions of God. It'll cause you to lose sight of the fact that God actually is sovereign and he's at work in the universe and God is good and he is bringing about an amazing plan in an amazing way. We need to fight, I would suggest to you, we need to fight in our lives to not be bitter people. To not think that God is holding back on us or somehow capriciously bringing hard circumstances in our lives. No, let us be reminded God is bringing about his mysterious will through all of life's events. The question is, how will you respond to them? How will you respond in your life to the ups and to the downs that you face, both small and large, and everything in between? How will you respond to that? What will be your approach and your mindset? to the low level maybe frustrations that you face, the troubles that you face in life, to let this concept of bitterness begin to sneak in and begin to take root and resentfulness and anger begin to ooze out of you. I would just say on a, a, a personal level, it's just so encouraging to see our members here persevering through trials in deep-seated joy that can only come from God. 
Some of you have have been going through trials and very dark dark providences and to see your response and your response of faith and your trust and yes, your struggle, but not being given over to bitterness is just such an encouragement. To face the difficulties of life, but to continue to persevere in them, knowing that God is at work and for that a deep-seated joy because you trust in the sovereignty of God, you know that he is at work and to see you still hold on in Christian faith and joy is a blessing to see. It's a blessing to see just amidst of the ups and downs that we face in this life and the things before us and the mundaneness that we find ourselves in sometimes week to week to see fellow brothers and sisters in Christ following after joy and faithfulness to God in the midst of it all. And submit to you here that a focus and reliance on the sovereignty of God and trust in him helps mow down the weeds of bitterness that are always ready to spring up in our lives. Knowing that God is in control and in his sovereignty is one of those things that help us realize that bitterness is something that is to be taken out of our lives. Because God is over the events that we face. God help us to be a thankful and deep-seated joyful people because we see and we acknowledge that God is at work. We don't know exactly how we've seen that. We don't have to know how in our lives, but we do know that God is bringing about his sovereign plans through the things that we face. And that changes us. It changes our response to those things. I just ask you this morning, just very practically, what is there in your life right now that you could focus on and open your eyes to see how God is providing for you? Maybe as we see here, like Naomi again, as she's going through these difficulties, she's just, she's, she's missing, she's missing these things in her life. She's missing even acknowledging Acknowledging Ruth, who just said these beautiful things in these verses before. I mean, she's, she's, she's committing herself to be with her and to be with her God. And it just seems as though Naomi's just, just she, she doesn't even see that because there's a bitterness, a bitterness that is coming over her. And I just ask, ask you in our life, in my life, what, what is there in our life that we are facing that we just need to stop for a moment and say, Lord, you are blessing me with this. Even in the midst of, of, of these ups and downs and struggle, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your sovereignty in my life. And just realizing, look, God is in control of where he has you and the difficulties that you're facing and all that you, it lies in front of you. Consider how it is that God is providing for you. Focusing on those blessings changes us. It changes us. I would submit to you that the place for us always to start, maybe in a struggle of bitterness, is always to start with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To remember in our lives, here is who I am apart from Christ. Here is who I am, 
who I was before his grace and his mercy broke through in my life. I was a sinner. I was an enemy of God and I was on the path to destruction to a real place called hell. I had no hope of salvation. Even if everything went hunky-dory for me in this life, which is but a vapor, in the end when I die, I would be separated from him an eternity in hell. But God in his great love and his mercy through Jesus Christ sent Jesus Christ to die for me. Sent him to forgive me of my sin to cleanse me, to make me new, and to do a new work in my life. I, I just submit to you that that is the place for all of us to start in this fight and struggle against bitterness because, I mean, can, can it get any better than that? Right? Maybe a better question. Can it get any worse? Can, can things get worse after that? Right? I mean, no matter what happens to us, God has us in Christ Jesus. We are secure in his hands. We, are, we have been forgiven of our sins to the praise of Jesus Christ. There is nothing, nothing that this world can do to take that from us. And that is always the place for us to return in our fight and our struggle with bitterness and, and failed expectations in our life. I think even from that, and so just before moving on with that, may, maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you've not made that decision yet in your life. I'd submit to you that, that that is our biggest problem in life is our sin. We all would encourage you here this morning if you're not trusting, first of all, that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, we implore you today, trust in Jesus Christ and be forgiven of your sins. The promise of God Almighty is to trust in what Jesus has done for us, to change us, we receive that, by faith, we receive that by trusting in what Christ has done for us. So we just encourage you to do that and make that decision today. We would love to talk with you after the service. If you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm wanting to believe in Christ. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to have my sins forgiven. I want to trust in Christ to forgive me. We would love to speak with you after the service today about that. And then in our lives for us to realize and begin to seek to open our eyes to see, hey, look, God has blessed me in so many ways. God has blessed me. God has blessed me with people that are around me. God, God has blessed me just in, in so many ways, even, even materially. Even for the, I would submit a good place to start is, is lunch today. Right, we're getting there. Lunch is coming it's a wonderful place just for us to, Lord, thank you for providing for me. Thank you for providing for me. I praise you for what you've given to me. I acknowledge your hand in these things. And for us to just have our eyes be open to the blessings of God in our life. Bitterness and resentfulness begin to look towards ourself and away from God. This leads right into the second scene in our text and we'll just hit on it very quickly and that is God's plan and compensation begin to take place in chapter two. 
We see this in these first verses. Dark providence we know has come upon Naomi and upon Ruth, but the smile of God's goodness and the plan of God begin to show forth. We've seen and will continue to see God always has a plan in our suffering. And God is always bringing about good out of the suffering of his children. The first verses of chapter two two introduce to us a new character in the book. This verse doesn't really seem to go with the flow uh, of this chapter as we're just reading it. It kind of sticks out, kind of like a sore thumb. And the author here is just cueing our attention and he's saying, hey, here's a man, he's gonna come up, this man Boaz, he's gonna be a very important figure. It says there in chapter two, verse one, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, well, Look at that, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, should sound familiar, whose name was Boaz. So he's cueing us, here's this man. And now the author continues with the account in verse number two. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, go, my daughter. Remember that Naomi and Ruth, again, they're coming back to Judah with nothing. They do not have anyone to provide for them, no husband, no sons. So Ruth goes to glean in the field. We'll look more at this concept next week. But just enough to say here, look at what happens in verse number three. I love this verse. Look at what it says. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Of all the fields in the area, again, we'll look at this more next week. The text says she happened to come to Boaz's field of the clan of Elimelech. We could uh, translate this as chance would have it. And I think what the author is doing here is he's, he's just playing with us. He's toying with us here. He knows that things don't happen by chance or luck, right? Luck or chance is not a force that brings things about. No, God's providence stands behind every single thing. What the author is wanting us to see here is that God is at work. God is at work in all of it, bringing about this plan and compensation in their lives of what he is doing. It's beginning to unfold. It's beginning to work out after this long period of dark providence. Light here in the text is beginning to break through. And so we see that coming in these verses. Just a few final concluding thoughts for us this morning from this text. The first is this. Trust God even when you do not know why he does what he does. Trust God even when you do not know why he does what he does. Have faith in him. Trust in the goodness of God. Trust in his plan and his sovereignty. Secondly, take your complaints to God. Take your complaints to God. I encourage you, don't run away from God with your questions, with your concerns, even with your complaints. If you're crying out loud, the Lord knows what we're thinking anyway. 
right? Let's run to him. It's okay to struggle with difficult questions about sin and God's power. I would submit to you in the church and and here we need to give space for people that are working through these very difficult questions in their life. They're searching out the scriptures of seeking, I can't, this is so hard. I'm, I'm trying to work through this issue. We need to lovingly allow people in their struggles that they face in life to lovingly come alongside them, to be there for them and not just be that person. Well, here's what you're supposed to know. Here's what you're to think. Here's how you're to act. Don't you know this? But to come along in compassion, knowing that we are frail, we're to extend mercy to one another. I pray that we would be that type of people and that type of church with people that are struggling, that we would have room for a sort of bitter Naomi here if she were to show up in the congregation, that we would show her love and grace. Third, don't become bitter when you don't understand God's ways. I was walking through these points last night with Marcia and I'd originally put down here, uh, don't become overly bitter when you don't understand God's ways. And she's like, well, that's like saying don't be overly adulterous. You know, it's like you either are or you aren't. So scratched out the overly, but I, I wanna just make, allow, I know that we struggle with bitterness in our lives, but we, we need to, as we realize God's plan and his work to seek to pull out those roots of bitterness, especially when we don't understand what God is doing when we're not able to see the end of it and when there's frustrations that arise within us to not let that bitterness begin to grow. Bitterness against God will eventually reveal a lack of faith in him and it will lead down a very bad road in our lives. Last of all is let us worship God for his amazing ways. Let us worship God for his amazing ways. God is so powerful. God is so sovereign and majestic. It just blows my mind to think of all of us sitting here this morning. God knows all the intricacies of every single thing you face not just us, but everybody in the world. And not only that, God is orchestrating everything to bring about his plans and his purposes for his glory. I mean, it's truly just mind boggling to think about the sovereignty and the providence of God, of who he is, and that he has come to us through Jesus Christ. I pray that that would just be lead to an amazement in our lives, that we would be amazed at the work of God. I'd like to end this morning with, on that note from Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36 says this, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we indeed praise you for your glory, your majesty, your control, your providence, your goodness, your gentleness, your faithfulness to us. Father, we praise you for Christ our Lord and our Savior. Father, we, we, we pray before you this morning that you would forgive us, Lord, when we tend to bitterness in our lives. Father, when we tend to focus just on ourselves and look inwardly, Father, would you help us to look to you and your blessings upon us through Jesus Christ. May the truth of your sovereignty and your being at work in our lives just wash over us and cause us to humbly confess together that we love you, we trust you, and to seek to live in obedience to you. It's in the name of Christ, our only hope we pray, amen.